Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to an all new season of the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. This season, we're diving into some of the most unusual missing person cases from the shocking disappearance of Charlie Ross to the American Dyatlov Pass disappearances. Crime Never Sleeps podcast, special Murder Monday, where I bring to you a murder case every Monday, from solved to unsolved cases. And today, we're talking about the murder of Ken Rex McElroy. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Huntkiller. Visit huntkiller.com, use code TCNS for 20% off your first box. And don't forget to like and subscribe to this video if you like what we offer. So let's continue on the murder of Ken Rex McElroy.
This is one of the strangest murder cases I've read about. The year is 1981. The town is Skidmore, Missouri. A town surrounded by cornfields with only 437 residents. Hold up, 437? And you can't find one person responsible for the murder of McElroy? Yeah, that's a little strange. But not, it's not the weirdest part. On July 10th, 1981, Ken McElroy would be shot dead in the street in broad daylight in front of 60 witnesses. Yet, this case remains unsolved. How do you get away with murder with 60 people watching you? Ken Rex McElroy was born June 1st, 1934, to a family of poor tenant farmers who moved near the town of Skidmore, Missouri. By the eighth grade, McElroy had left school and is believed he was largely illiterate. At 18, he was said to have been seriously injured when a steel slab fell on him at a construction site. The incident left him with chronic pain, and some have attributed his bizarre and violent behavior to a head injury suffered in the event. McElroy was reportedly a 270-pound giant of a man. A local farm, farmer described McElroy saying, I think that Ken simply wanted to be big and important and have people afraid of him when he walked down the street. And he got that. They were afraid of him. In spite of all this, McElroy made a relatively substantial living off of leasing land near his home, or his farm, trading and racing dogs, as well as allegedly stealing livestock, grain, alcohol, gasoline, and antiques. McElroy was constantly in trouble with the law. His lawyer estimated that he was charged with various crimes at least three times a year. And by some counts, he was indicted as many as 21 times, but escaped conviction all but once. McElroy was often known to brag that his Kansas City lawyer, Richard Gene McFadden, also represented the mob and would effectively keep him out of jail. Walking around town saying, I can do whatever I want. I got a big, fancy-pants lawyer from out of town, and he's going to make sure all you small folk can't touch me. Another tactic to, av to avoid jail that McElroy would employ is intimidating witnesses. To do this, he'd follow them or park outside their homes and watch them until they were no longer willing to testify against him. His various alleged crimes include robbery, harassing and assaulting women, destroying property, threatening lives, and assault, as well as shooting at least two people. One of those two people he shot was local farmer Romaine Henry, who was shot in the stomach when Henry tried to chase McElroy off Henry's land. Also, McElroy was accused of raping two young women as young as 12, both of which he was said to have married to keep them from testifying against him. One of these women was 24-year-old Trina McLeod, who was his partner and was also present at the time of McElroy's death. Mm. Possible suspect there. Trina was McElroy's third wife, though all unions were suspect due to the fact that some of his marriages overlapped, as well as the fact that McElroy was known to prefer girls around the age of 13 or 14. In fact, McElroy actually entered a relationship with Trina when she was only 14 years old, having a child with her around the same time. Soon after having their first child, 
Trina attempted to escape to her parents' house. McElroy responded by allegedly burning down her parents' home and shooting their dog. Yet in 1981, Trina told People magazine that the house fire was just faulty wiring. To make matters worse, McElroy was also accused of abusing his first two wives, Sharon and Alice, as is often the case in stories of domestic abuse. In later interviews with both Alice and Trina, they seemed to minimize their abuse and even claimed McElroy treated them well. In 1981, shortly after his death, Alice told People Magazine that Ken was totally different from the way they are saying he was now. Oh, he was wild, but he wasn't guilty of all those things, they say. He was honest and generous. I never knew him to steal anything, ever. However, it's known that even the county's law enforcement officials were afraid of encountering McElroy, who was known to always be heavily armed and unafraid of shooting cops. For over two decades, the people of Skidmore often felt abandoned by the justice system that couldn't stop McElroy from further terrorizing them. Little did they know, an instance would occur that would change everything. On April 25, 1980, in Ernest Bowen Camp's general store, the store clerk, Evelyn Summy, would ask McElroy's eight-year-old daughter, Tanya, to return a piece of candy she had not paid for. When he learned of the incident, McElroy was so incensed, he reportedly began stalking the Bowen Camp family. This led to the events of July 8, 1980, when McElroy would drive into the alley behind the Bowen Camp General Store. Once there, he threatened Bo Bowen Camp and shot the grocer in the neck at close range with a shotgun. Marking at least the second reported time McElroy had shot somebody. Luckily, Bo survived and McElroy was arrested and charged with attempted murder. His preliminary trial was set for August 18, 1980. In typical fashion, McElroy made attempts to intimidate the Bowen Camp family and supporters to keep them from testifying. Bowen Camp's wife recalled, You can't know how intimidating it was after that. Before his trial, he'd drive up to our house in his pickup at night and just sit there. Sometimes he would fire his gun. It was just frightening. Through legal maneuvers, McElroy was able to delay the trial almost five months, until June 25, 1981. During this time, the acting prosecuting attorney resigned, and a young new prosecutor named David Baird was hired to fill his position. Some have speculated that McElroy had bullied the previous prosecutor to leave. The new prosecutor was only three years out of law school. He had accomplished what no other lawyer had been able to do in all of McElroy's criminal history. He convicted him of a crime. Granted, McElroy was ultimately only convicted at his trial of second-degree assault, the jury set a maximum sentence of two years, and the judge freed him on a $40,000 bail bond pending the appeal. This was partly because Baird lessened McElroy's charge from attempt to kill to knowingly cause serious physical injury to ensure that he could secure a conviction. McElroy reportedly said at the trial, The jury convicted me and they gave me two years, but I'll tell you what, I'll never go to jail. I'll appeal and get off. I've been fighting the law since I was 13, and I'm damn near 50. I've been arrested for over 50 felonies, and this is the first one I ever lost. 
Soon after he was released, McElroy bizarrely was spotted with a rifle and bayonet at the town's local bar, D&G Tavern, where he is allegedly making graphic threats about murdering Bo Bowenkamp. As a result, he was arrested again and quickly released, with the only consequence being the postponement of his court hearing to July 20th, 1981, for violating his bail provisions for being armed. In the wake of these events on the morning of July 10th, 1981, there was a meeting at the town's Legion Hall just down the street from the D&G Tavern. As many as 60 Skidmore residents attended, including both the mayor and the sheriff. The meeting's entire purpose was to discuss what they could legally do to prevent McElroy from harming anyone else. County Sheriff Dan Estes suggested the formation of a neighborhood watch. But the collective mindset of those in attendance seemingly could be summed up by one quote from an attendee. We simply felt that the system had failed us. We all knew what Apologize for that technical difficulty, but on to the rest of the story. The county sheriff suggested the formation of a neighborhood watch, but the collective mindset of those in attendance could be summed up by one quote from an attendee. He simply felt that the system had failed us. We all knew what he was like, and there he was again and again. It seemed like nobody could stop him. At the meeting, people heard reports that McElroy and Trina were spotted heading to the D&G Tavern in Skidmore to grab drinks. It is said that the meeting adjourned, and the crowd of about 60 then quietly descended upon the D&G Tavern, flanking McElroy's truck. Some even went into the bar, where they waited for him to finish his drinks. Upon their return to the truck, where Trina was sitting in the passenger seat, McElroy lit a cigarette. Trina claimed to have turned over her shoulder and seen someone pull a rifle from the back of the truck and take aim at McElroy, and then shots were fired, shattering the truck's windows. Trina reportedly dove from her side of the vehicle onto the street and was picked up by a man named Jack Clement and walked toward the bank for safety. McElroy, at the age of 47, remained in the car, shot to dead, getting hit twice. The shot came from roughly behind him, so he would not have seen his shooter. Bullet casings from two different guns were found. Notably, nobody called an ambulance. While there was as many as 60 witnesses reported at the scene, no one but Trina would come forward in the investigation that followed to say who had fired the shots. Cheryl Houston, her husband, the daughter of Bo Bowenkamp, witnessed the shooting from her family store and said this on the silence that followed the murder. Once the shroud of silence fell, there was going to be no one talking. They could have pushed and dug, pushed and dug, and gotten nothing. We were so bitter and so angry at the law letting us down that it came to somebody taking matters in their own hand. No one has any idea what a nightmare we lived. And now, on to the theories behind this murder. The main theory, really the only one theory, was... There was only one suspect. It was a shooter that Trina identified as Del Clement. He was part owner of the D&G Tavern. 
However, Clement would go on to deny the charge, and no other witnesses came forward. So ultimately, the DA, the coroner's jersey, jury, oops, did not order an arrest warrant or press charges. Harry N. McLean, author of a book on the case titled In Broad Daylight, spent some time with Clement during his years researching his book and describes Clement as a short man with a chip on the shoulder and a hot temper, wearing a cowboy hat and drank heavily. In regards to the shooting, McLean describes Clement saying, it wasn't hard to imagine him jerking the gun from his pickup in a burst of anger and opening up on a large black head on the other side of the rear window of the pickup. McLean also says that in the years he spent researching, he never heard another name seriously mentioned as a shooter besides Clement. In 2009, Clement passed away, and up until his death, he continued to deny any role in the killing. Thank you for turning, tuning into this episode of Murder Monday. Join us next week for an all-new episode of Murder Monday. Uh, let us know your thoughts in the comment section below. Be sure to like and subscribe to this video, to the channel. You can support the channel and the podcast by going to buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps us grow this channel and improve the quality of our content. Thank you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Follow us on Twitter at True Crime NS. Like us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.